great to be here with you. Great to be worshiping with you today. And uh, man, gorgeous weather this whole weekend. And good to just be able to relax and take a little break, get that breath in, right? And, and man, we're in a series here that's called In Living Color. And not far off from doing the exact same thing, learning how to take a breath, how to relax, how to celebrate life in our God. What does that mean to be able to celebrate Him? to be able to have a vibrant walk with him. And how do you go after that? That's what we're talking about in this series. We're not talking about that thing where you fake it. We're not talking about that thing where you try to grab all the vocabulary that looks like you know, and not the thing where you look like you've got it going on, but instead you actually are having an unbelievable walk with your Lord. Whether it's in a down moment or an up moment, You're grasping the vitality and the vibrancy of knowing your Savior. That's what we're talking about. And so as we look today to continue that, turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. Ephesians 5, verse 15. And today we're talking about grabbing a splash of wisdom. A splash of wisdom. Man, I'm telling you, you cannot experience a vibrant walk with Christ if you are not walking around wisely. Good, strong reasoning, Holy Spirit moving, God getting the glory, right? And a vibrant walk is a wise walk. And so a splash of wisdom is what we're talking about. The first point here, how do I go after a splash of wisdom? Well, it's really obvious. Point number one, walk wisely. Walk wisely. Like the decisions we make in our thinking and in our actions need to be centered on that which is wise. If we're going to go after this, we've got to make sure we know what God is all about in following him. We start in verse 15. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And uh, Not many words here, but it's chocked full of deep detail. He says, look carefully. Uh, Literally, if you wanted to translate that from the original, it's watch cautiously. Like, use your eyes, be cautious, be aware. Look around. Like, as you're walking, don't just stare down, right? The more you stare down, the more you're just going to walk into the thing ahead of you. The more you're going to miss the things going on around you. He's like, keep your head up, keep your eyes peeled. Watch carefully. Right? This is like in the driver's ed statement when they're like, check your mirrors, 10 and 2, right? Like, make sure you're prepped on this. You're thinking a little bit. You're looking around. You've got it together, right? For the guy who's one hand in it, doing the texting thing, right? Everybody say that's illegal, (laughs) right? We got that down now, right? And uh, so we got, like, be careful. Be cautious what you're doing. And he's like, look carefully then how you walk. The decisions you make need to be 10 and 2. Checking the mirrors and seeing what's around. All right? Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Not as unwise, but as wise. This original language word here for wisdom, it was used by the Greeks to, uh, well, it basically meant you knew a lot. They used it to mean knowledge. And uh, so the, the depth of wisdom for them was how many facts could you quote out, right? The guy who was deeply wise would actually do well in trivia questions. He would know a lot of things. But it's so much more than that biblically. 
When we see biblically what is meant, you're seeing it go deeper than just knowledge. It's knowledge applied. It's more than just being able to pass a quiz. It's more than being able to quote a bunch of little details off. It's being able to take information that you have and apply it into your life. Wisdom. Knowledge applied. Not knowledge quipped and quoted. Right? Knowledge applied. Like I know how to execute this in the moment of what's going on. So that's the first part of wisdom is it's applicational. But the second part of biblical wisdom is it's God-centered. It's God-centered. If we use the big word, it's theocentric. Like wisdom is absolutely going to be a full view of God and a practical understanding of this world. So I know what step to take. That's biblical wisdom. It's not I know a lot of facts. It's so much more than that. It's not just knowledge. It's knowledge applied. And it's also knowledge that has a high center on God, him getting all the glory. Wisdom, God-centered and applicational. And uh, may we go after that. I'll just say it this way. How do we go after walking wisely? A couple of words. Uh, The first one is lean. Lean. And the second one is learn. Learn. Lean and learn. Man, if you do those two well, you're going to actually walk very wisely. What do I mean by lean? Well, James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. Did you know that? If you, like, think about yourself for a moment. Are you like, I have this wisdom thing down. I'm doing well with it. Or when you think of wisdom, are you like, "Not, not so much. I could use a little help here. And if that's you, know this. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. He gives generously. You see, we think of wisdom all too often as like this unbelievable little nugget of gold that's planted away that we need to know about. And man, it'll change life. God treats it like an Easter egg hunt. And he's like, I've I've made this unbelievable thing of wisdom for you. Good luck finding it. You know, it's kind of like the dad who takes the Easter egg and puts it in the gutter and then says, good luck, little one. Have fun with it. And then, you know, you're like, why do you make it so hard? And you're like, life's hard. You got to get them started early, right? Not that. Like, that's not the goal. He's not taking these pieces of wisdom and trying to make it somehow this ridiculous Easter egg hunt you'll never find. Everybody say, not that. God literally says, ask and I'll be pouring it out to you. If you lack wisdom, ask. He gives generously. He lavishes it on, and he makes sure you know exactly where to head. James 1.5, lean on your God. Ask him for wisdom. And then the second one is learn. Learn. Man, true wisdom requires learning. It requires learning from your own mistakes and successes. It requires learning from those around you. I've heard people say, wisdom is when you learn from your own failures. And I'll say this. Yes, in part, but honestly, real wisdom learns from any failure and any success anywhere, anytime. I'm just taking it in. I see what worked for that guy or what didn't work. I see what's going on with, and it didn't work for me, but, and here's the difference when, and you're learning all the time. You love to learn. The true heart of a wisdom person is I can't wait to learn a little bit more and be able to apply a little bit more and may God get all the glory the heart of wisdom. Be a learner, grabbing information that is applicational and 
worships God with all you've got and going after that together. So leaning and learning, man. Those are two words that go well for walking wisely. And uh, I just wrote this down, the wisdom that is from above. Again, James chapter 3, verse 17 now. The first one was James 1. You're going to notice that anytime you look up anything on wisdom, it's going to be a lot in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, James. Like those three books have a ton of wisdom statements in them. And so James 1.5 was asking for wisdom. James 3.17 says, The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. In case you're wondering what it looks like to be wise, pure, like you're following your God with all you've got. You're not involved in sin along the way. You're, and where there is sin, it's, Lord, please forgive me. I'm done with that. Peaceable, like you long to calm things, not stir things. Gentle, right? there's a care along the way. Open to reason. The wise person is open to input, always looking to learn. I'm not saying I'm the end point of it all. I'm saying I love to learn along the way. Open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, pouring it on other people, whether they deserve it or not. That's part of wisdom. And impartial and sincere. And do you notice how much of wisdom actually sounds like the definition of love, actually sounds like the definition of light we went through last week? They're all starting to crisscross. Why? Because they're all centered in God Almighty. And man, as you start to walk after wisdom, what you are going to find is it so celebrates the character of God. May we walk in wisdom. And maybe you're here today and you're coming in with a load on your back. And a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. And uh, man, know this. God is not asking you to walk that alone. And as you ask for wisdom in the steps and how to care along the way and what you need to do next, your God is right there with you. It will celebrate his character and you will live out the learning that is going on within. He says... Make sure that you understand that you need to walk as wise, not as unwise. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. He's like, man, don't get distracted with what's going on around you. There's so much evil going on. There's so much wrong going on. There's so much horrible going on. And don't waste your time with the selfishness, with the battling, with the infighting. Don't waste your time making it all about you. Make sure you're celebrating your God and may he get all the glory along the way. And uh, he's like, don't waste your time because the days are evil. Don't get caught up in them is really what he's saying. And then he says, therefore, and when we see the therefore, we say, what's the therefore there for? Now, this is right in the middle of a passage. It's connecting to that prior phrase, the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Like as you're walking through the day and your coworkers or family members or neighbors or just a contact on the street, whatever it is, starts living life ridiculously selfish, foolish beyond measure, sinful in some way, watch out. Be careful. Think it through. He says, don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. Literally, make sure you're grasping What's going on? Foolish is, I don't grasp it. 
Foolish is, I'm not seeing the big picture. Foolish is, I don't see where God is in this. Foolish is, who cares what I do? It doesn't matter because it's missing the God-centered nature of it all. Foolish. He's like, don't be foolish, but instead, understand. Now, what's interesting is that word foolish and the word understand are very closely linked in the original language, but they're not the same word. In fact, this word understand here, very important that we grasp it, this word understand means to put together, understand. What it's not is somebody just tells you a command or a statement, like here's a fact, and you go, oh, I I understand that, right? You just heard it and you understood it. It's not that, it's so much more than that. It's being able to see this detail and that detail and that fact and this fact, and as you begin to pull them together, you begin to understand. It's sort of like piecing together a puzzle one piece at a time where you're taking them and you're matching things up and seeing how it fits. And as it comes together, you're beginning to see the bigger picture. Here's the catch. You don't have the top box of the puzzle. So you're not seeing what the picture looked like ahead of time and trying to match it. You're trying to see how the pieces come together. That's this word understand. You're beginning to piece it together. So here's the catch. What are we supposed to be understanding? It says that we might understand what the will of the Lord is. You can actually understand what the will of the Lord is. Did you know that? That We might understand what some of you are like, I know, but I think it's one of those 10,000 piece puzzles that's all grayscale and there's no picture of anything. And I picked up pieces for the last five years and nothing ever fits together. I've seen that puzzle. It's horrible. And like, just so you know, that's not the puzzle that God puts together for the will of God. That's too much on the Easter egg hidden, can't ever find it game plan. I'm telling you, they're more like the 10 piece puzzles with the gigantor pieces. Like if you can't figure out how that piece fits with this piece real obviously, you need to think for just a second more right? That kind of moment. Like putting the big 10-piece puzzles together. Have you ever done that with a little kid where you're working with them and having fun with them and you're helping them see and then you're like, I wonder how fast I could put this puzzle together. And you're like, move it aside and you're like, boom! Like I could do this in seconds, right? I'm just telling you, as you begin to piece together the basics of a 10-piece puzzle, it kind of comes together fairly obviously, even if it's grayscale, right? And the reality is we all too often treat the will of the Lord as the 10,000-piece puzzle. And most of the time, God is revealing out what he wants in a very obvious way, okay? The will of the Lord. We're supposed to be putting this together. I just want to say this about the will of the Lord. All too often, we treat the will of the Lord as um, events or things we need to be a part of, like my job title, Right? Or my uh, degree that I get or the home that I purchase. It's a thing I do or have, the will of the Lord. And just so you know, most often scripture really doesn't treat it that way. In fact, I just wrote this down this week. I think it's best that we don't treat the will of the Lord as, what do you want me to do? Like that's not the best question. What do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? That's not the best question. Here's the best question. Lord, how can I please you? The will of the Lord is not God sitting there going, come on, do what I want. And you're like, what do you want? Like that is a horrible interaction of us to God. As he's got his arms folded and he looks a little cross and he's like, get it. 
and you're like, I don't get it. What do you want? That's not it. Everybody say, not that. It's more God leaning in with his hands open and he's willing to pour on the wisdom to this 10-piece puzzle. And he's like, come on, man, we can do this. And you're like, would this please you? And he's like, now you're talking. Like, that's the beginning of starting to see the interaction with God. It's pleasing God and working with him along the way that he might get the glory. That is a huge distinction in how we approach it, the will of the Lord. So that said, um, my wife and I were talking this week about the will of God, and uh, I just put down a few verses here that speak very directly to the will of God, and you're going to be surprised at what it says, all right? Here's three pieces uh, that are true about the will of God. Three things that God is mostly going after, if you want to say it that way. This is mostly what the will of the Lord is. Here we go. First, growth. Growth. First Thessalonians 4.3, it says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. Let that settle. That is really direct. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Growth is the will of the Lord. You beginning to look more like Christ tomorrow than you do today more, right? One degree at a time. Growth, that is the will of the Lord, okay? Here's a second one, gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, gratitude. Uh, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Like, these are really obvious, right? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Gratitude. Thank you, Lord, no matter what you're, it says in all circumstances, everybody say all, right? You're like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. Like giving gratitude in the good circumstances, in the easy circumstances, in the comfortable circumstances, like I get that, I'm on that, I do well there. Giving thanks when it's hard, when it hurts, when it's causing me to strain, when it means I have to grow, back to the first one, harder to be thankful. But God's calling us to be thankful in all circumstances. May God get all the glory. So growth and gratitude. I'm telling you, if you land those two, you are on the way to a great journey with your God. The will of the Lord, growth and gratitude. Notice we have yet to say what your job title is. Growth and gratitude and the will of the Lord is covered well there. Here's a third one. Good works. Good works. First Peter 2.15. It says, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you put to silence ignorance of foolish men. This is the will of God, that by doing good works, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Doing good. Right? And that's a huge deal. So growth and gratitude and then good works being able to consider the needs of somebody, to reach out to another, to be kind, to be gracious, to be able to do something that is reflecting the character of God into that circumstance. Growth, gratitude, and good works. That is the majority of God's will in your life. Did you know that? Which means, well, what about all these details that I keep asking? And honestly, there's a lot of latitude that God often gives us. Now, there are moments where God is like, very specifically, I'm longing for this very specific thing to happen. And sometimes God will lean in with that, but often he gives lots of latitude. As long as you're growing in him, as long as your gratitude is high, 
And as long as you're doing good along the way, God is like, exactly, you're using exactly what I've given you, and you're doing some great stuff there. And it gives latitude in what we do. And then there are moments where God says something like to Abraham, stand up, I need you to go to the land of Canaan. You're going right specifically there. That was pretty specific, right? And there are moments where God calls us to those kinds of specific things. Sometimes, but not very often, just be careful with trying to make every single moment of every day. You walk into your closet and you're like, Lord, what shirt do you want me to wear? I'm not sure what shirt. You can cripple yourself with trying to bring God down into the every single decision of your life when in fact he's giving latitude to be about growth and gratitude and good works along the way, right? And I'm certain that God told me to wear this shirt today. No, I'm not at all <laughs> saying that. We'll get to that in just a moment. And uh, what does it mean that we have these questions at hand and we're struggling with? And I just want to say very clearly, God is mostly concerned with those facets of your soul, attitude, and growing in him. May God get the glory, all right? Um, I will just say this. Um, we've had a few instances in our life where it's been so clear that God has led along the way. And I love that. Those really clear moments where you're like, it's more than just general freedoms. He's actually guiding us to something more specific. And so how does that work? And so I just wrote these down as well. Three ways that God's will is communicated. And I know we're camping on God's will a little bit, but it's really important we get this. We can so cripple ourselves if we don't have this down. So three ways that God's will is communicated. Ready? Here's the first one. Directed. Like just through God's word, as you read, you will see what it says to do and what not to do, to go after and to not go after. And as we follow through on God's word very clearly, we are directed very clearly. Directed. It is from God's word or from others who know God's word. Good counsel, right? And that's a huge deal. Directed ministry as God leans into your life, as he shares through the word and makes things clear along the way. Here's what you will notice. Never does it tell you the street name of the house that you should buy in the word. So all of a sudden, the directed communication of God's will, it's not covering those kinds of things. It's covering more the growth, the gratitude, the good works along the way. All of that fully understandable as we go through that. Huge deal. So the first one is directed. The second one is discerned. The discerned will of God. This one takes a little more art. This is things like open and closed doors or passions and gifts and skills, talents. These are things that you're fired up about and things you're good at. These are things that open up in front of you or close right in front of you. And it starts to reveal a little bit more of a specific of where God may be calling you into. And discerning takes a little bit of work. Discerning takes listening and watching. Now you're beginning to put the puzzle pieces together. And maybe this one has even become more than a 10-piece, more like a 20-piece puzzle, right? You're starting to watch and you're looking and you're reasoning as you're beginning to put it together and you're like, Lord, what do you want here? And just so you know, God is not giving you zero skills in an area and then asking you to go over there and try to just figure it out. Like God is so excited to be able to build into you and then call you through to something where you can do something because of what he's done in your life and the circumstances he's set up around it, all for the glory of God. It's a huge deal. As you look back and you go, Lord, how can I put a smile on your face? 
Lord, how can I please you? And you're looking to discern into the middle of the open doors and the closed doors and the passions and the gifts and the skills and the talents and your reasoning along the way, discerning. And uh, this one takes a little more art for sure. And uh, just be careful because sometimes we start collapsing down into, I think God wants to control and mandate every single thing I do. Every single thing will be told exactly what to do. And as you reach in, you're supposed to hear, not those socks, those socks. Better. Right? That's not it. We're missing it. God's like, enjoy a little bit of the latitude that I'm giving you and the ability to reason and think along the way, and let's work together on this. And then there are moments that matter much more. And uh, you have to try to figure that out as you listen back and forth and you're spending time with, I'm just telling you, the moment the Holy Spirit starts speaking and moving in your life, you start to get it a little more. We're going to talk more about it, but being filled with the Spirit here, utterly essential to be able to discern well. And we're going to talk about be filled in the second point. It's a huge deal. And I'll tell you, John and I had a couple of experiences coming into the ministry and coming down here that were huge confirmations in discerning, putting together the puzzle pieces and seeing what God was maybe opening up as a reasonable next step. And uh, our first thing, I was, in, I was at Tell Labs working as an engineer. And uh, we were looking to upscale house. We had lived in the house for a long time, that same house. And we were thinking, well, maybe we should just buy a little bit bigger home. We've got the money. It's not a problem. We can do all this budget-wise. It all makes sense. And, and so we looked at some homes. We found a home we really liked. It was a great home. It was on a little less busy street, the street we were on. A lot of cars were doing 50, 60 miles an hour down this side street thing. And it was crazy, a subdivision with high-speed traffic. And we're like, maybe we should move out of here, just get a little safer place. And we really liked this home, but something, we couldn't explain what just a check in our spirit. It just didn't seem right. It, right? Can you hear the terms I'm using? Like, here's what I did not just say. God told me, right? We all get that, right? We'll talk about that one in just a second. But we had this discerning, this sort of feeling, this sense of it just didn't, Lord, show us if we need to hear it. And so the next day I went into work and I went to push the elevator button. I'd gotten there a little bit early. And a guy that I was in church with, we were at a different church at the time, way back. And uh, he actually said, dude, we haven't seen each other in a while. As he jumps on the elevator, he goes, you got a second? I'm like, yeah, what's going on? He goes, let's go to a conference room. I want to talk to you about something. I'm like, okay. So he takes me to a conference room, closes the door, and I'm like, what is going on? He's like, you know where I work, right? Yeah, you're in mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. Dude, you need to know that your department is in big trouble. Like, it's going away over the next couple of years. Your job's gone in the next several years. Like, what do you want to do next with your life? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, in the near term, you know, I've talked about next level up, get promotion. What does it mean to be managing over this group instead of just doing marketing, engineering, yada, yada. And he's like, no, 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 I'm talking bigger, longer, wider, far out. And I'm like, probably going to seminary, probably figuring out what it looks like to get into ministry. Quote, he goes, do it. And whatever you're doing, don't increase any mortgages or anything like that. I'm not kidding, man. I looked at him, I go, why did you say that? He goes, I don't know. I'm just telling you, keep your money and commitments down. Now that's a little bit clear, right? I had the two-piece puzzle to figure out on that one, right? Just basic, put it together. And I'm like, I go back, I call my wife. I'm like, we're not buying the house. She's like, why? Let me tell you the story. I tell her it. She's like, unbelievable. So I'm privately thinking, it's time to start seminary. I'm really fired up about it. Maybe Moody Bible Institute. And she goes, so you think maybe you'll start seminary? 
I never said seminary to you. Where did you get seminary from? She's like, I've been thinking that. We've been thinking separately and maybe ministries where we're headed. And God just moved in that day and a half with such a high confirmation that some 20 years, 19 years later, we're like, we remembered that day. There's moments like that. And then there's a lot of other moments. So discernment, where we're looking for God, Lord, is this a latitude moment or are you looking to tighten it down? And just work with me along the way. What do you want, God? So directed, discerned, and then the last one is declared. This is where God speaks in an audible voice and you hear it and you move. I'm just telling you, this is what Abraham heard. This is what Jonah heard. This is what Paul heard when it got knocked off the horse. Audible voice. I have never heard this. I often hear people say, God told me. But what you really mean is you're back in the discerning bucket. I'm reasoning through it. Pieces seem to be coming together. It makes some sense for. I seem really convinced on the amount of convincing is really high. So that kind of thing. Like it just seems to be within my spirit. There's a, right, the Holy Spirit moving, discerning. That's not God told me. God told me is, I heard a voice and I turned the guy next to me and go, did you hear that? And they go, I heard that, that kind of moment. I'm not saying God never speaks that way. I'm saying God rarely speaks that way and maybe never in your lifetime speaks that way. The majority of the time God interacts with us, it is through the basic word being shared and us discerning along the way. So can we all just say this? I know you know this, but for, my, for me, be careful with saying, God told me. We all know you actually mean I'm discerning and I believe the Holy Spirit is actively working, but can we not say God told me? We literally begin to put a trump card down on what I'm saying. God told me to tell you this, so don't tell me I'm wrong. Be really careful with that. I'm discerning this and maybe I'm a little off, but here's what I was thinking. That's a much better conversation, all right? So communication God shares with us through the directed, through the discerned, and through the declared. And all of God's people said, may we put the pieces together along the way. All right. So, that said, this past week I was reading a book, uh, just a little ebook thing, and uh, it was about uh, what it is to present yourself in a certain way. In fact, the book was called How to Appear to be Wise. That's what it was called. How to appear to be wise. It's already giving up before we've started, right? It's not how to be wise, too big for you. How to appear to be wise, right? And so it gives six scenarios of life that you might find yourself in and then gives examples. These are my observations as I read through this quick little book. Observationally, this is what he's basically recognizing, that a wise person is a thinking person, a wise person is not a judgmental person. A wise person is open to other people. He was starting to recognize some of the wisdom that you actually see that is from above, right? And he was piecing it together. But here's the examples. Like, here's one. Like, if you find yourself in an art gallery and you find you know nothing about art, right? The typical response might be to walk up and go like this. I don't even get this at all. Like, what is that? Right? Every one of those body language moments just said... I am not in on this painting, right? I do not understand this at all. And, then, and like, so your body language communicates. So here was the comment. In an art gallery, make sure you grab the right posture if you're trying to, ready, appear. Everybody say appear. 
if you're trying to appear wise, you go like this. Make sure, make sure your hand touches your chin, but not like this. Now you're lost, right? It's got to be like this, but, but this just looks a little bit thoughtful. So you go like this, you take your other hand and you hold your elbow like, I'm camping out for a while. It's really important that I learn and take in here. Now you start nodding your head a little bit and even turning it a little. Hmm. Hmm. You're beginning to appear to be wise. Now, when somebody walks up next to you, never, ever, ever share your opinion. Never share your opinion. When they walk up next to you, you go like this. Hmm. That's all you say. Just show them you're thinking. And then if they say anything like, what do you think of this? Don't share your opinion. What you say is, I'm intrigued by, notice no commitment, I'm intrigued by the lines and colors that this artist has used. What do you think? You see? Like, I'm going to use some bigger words. I'm even going to do a little evaluate, but I'm not saying what I think about it. And then I throw it back over to you and I'm done. The art of appearing wise is to never speak too much and to always look like you're thinking. That's basically what he's saying, right? And so you go along, like, here's what you don't do. This is stupid. Right? Not that. Right? And actually, it could be that a very wise person says that. Right? They walk up and they're like, no, this is not a good painting. It could be a very wise moment. But if you're trying to appear wise, you have to show the thinker part of it. Okay, this guy sold a book on how to appear to be wise. What a lame book. Can we just agree Ephesians 5 is how to be wise? And all of God's people said, how to be wise. Everybody say, be wise. be wise. This is not a peer. This is I am. Lord, I'm longing for you. I am crying out to you. I am leaning on you. I am hoping in you. I am looking carefully, 10 and 2, checking the mirrors along the way. I am communicating with you. I'm in your word. I'm looking around at the circumstances, and I long to put together the puzzle of your will so that you have a smile on your face. You matter to me. That's walking wisely, man. That is an unbelievable journey with your God. May God get the glory. So simple question. How are you doing at walking wisely? How are you doing at making decisions where you're watching carefully? How are you doing at thinking and praying and asking God to be a part of it with you? How are you doing at grasping and understanding the will of the Lord? Predominantly growth, gratitude, and good works wherever you're at. May God get all the glory. How are you doing? Okay, that's number one. Number two, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. It says in, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Now, if you're reading through this, that should feel a little bit like a grind. Like, what? That's not what we were talking about at all. How did we just change topics into that? And, and the whole point here is thinking wisely, reasoning into this world, being smart to what God has to say, letting him communicate his will into you, letting him pour in the wisdom. So don't pour in the alcohol to a level that starts to inebriate. Don't end up bringing in a clouding of the judgment. It ends up masking our ability to think along the way. 
And uh, it's amazing how often we miss out because of somehow anesthetizing the ability to think. You know, it's interesting. It's not against the law in the United States to get drunk, but it is against the law to get drunk and drive a car. Why? Well, because of the risk, because of the danger, right? And we have to be really understanding of what they're trying to do. They're like, look, you can do something, but if you start busting out into something that risks others' lives, then we're going to take statement with it. And just so you know, when it comes to Scripture, it's so not about driving drunk. It is so about walking drunk. It is so about, Lord, may I not have clouded judgment. May I grasp what I'm doing on a daily basis. May I see where you're calling me to head. And God, may I literally be worshiping and celebrating you. Lord, may I be on fire for you, not for the alcohol that anesthetizes along the way. He says, do not be drunk with wine. I just want to be super careful. This does say don't be drunk. This is talking about the excess of alcohol here, right? And just being wise to that. Uh, There are other passages that speak to you being careful even to have a drink and who you have it with. Romans 14, don't cause someone to stumble. Just be wise with that whole journey of alcohol, especially in this society that so appreciates alcohol to try to anesthetize and cloud judgment for a moment, right? Be cautious with that along the way. It says, don't be drunk with wine, uh, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He's like, if you're going to fill yourself with something, fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. He's like, man, I'm telling you, if you want to make sure that there is a control management going on, make sure it's Holy Spirit in you, him taking over, be filled. And I just want to say this really clearly. This is not speaking to having uh, more of the Holy Spirit in you. This is speaking to the Holy Spirit having more impact in you. It's more about his impact than his presence, right? It's not saying more presence of the Holy Spirit and you be filled like a cup of water where it's half full and so you pour more water in. There's now more water, not like that. Like this, is, this filled is all about the impact of the Holy Spirit. May he have more impact on you. And uh, it says be filled. Let's just break that command down here. Three parts to it. Number one is it is in the imperative form. It's a command. Do it. Be filled, command, do it. And uh, second part, continuous, always and ongoing. Be filled over and over and over and over again. Make sure you're constantly going after being filled. There will be moments in our life because we have sin in our life where we will make decisions that sort of pull off of that and less impact of the Holy Spirit. Get back to being fully impacted by the Holy Spirit. Be filled. Right? This is a command, it's in the continuous, and then the last part is, and it's in the passive form. It's in the passive form. He literally is saying to you, he's not saying, fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. It's not that. He's saying, be filled. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. It's in the passive form, ongoing and commanded, filled. It's an art along the way as we let the Holy Spirit work in our lives. And, um, you know, this speaks of the presence of God being sensed all the more. The manifest presence of the Holy Spirit, when he starts moving, there is clear leading and guiding and comforting and transforming. He starts doing a work in you, man. He makes things more clear. Conviction is more obvious. 
Joy is more celebratory. You're in with your God in a huge way. And the gratitude is pouring off. It's a spirit-controlled, joy-filled, Christ-glorified moment when you're filled. It's an awesome moment. And uh, what's the opposite of that? Well, the opposite of being filled is when we grieve the spirit. Or also when we quench the spirit. Grieving, that's in Ephesians 4.30. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. This is literally when we do something wrong, when we decide to hang out with and choose sin for the moment. And there's a grieving of the Spirit. The Spirit's response to being grieved is always conviction. Hang on, hang on. Let's not be there. That's probably not where we want to be right now. Let's start pulling away from that. It's time for us to step away from that. That's not honoring to God. That's not honoring to Christ. Come on, time to pull away. Conviction of the whole. Have you ever felt that? That moment where you're starting to lean into something, maybe it's a word you're going to say, it's an action you're going to do, it's an anger you're going to explode on, and you feel this moment inside where you're like, the Holy Spirit's going, uh, 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 hang on, just hang on. That's that grieving the Spirit and Him convicting. The next step's a doozy though. If we're like, not listening, I'm going for it. And we just dive into whatever we were talking about. I'm doing it, man. The anger just explodes. The words just come out. The action just takes place. I'm in it. In that moment, Holy Spirit pulls back a little bit of his manifest presence, a little bit of his impact power. It's not his presence coming down, just his sensed presence coming down, his power and impact, the force of the wind of the Spirit pressing, a little less, subduing down. That's called quenched. The spirit quenched as you choose sin and then choose to hang in it for a period of time. No, I'm in it. And as you then get confession and repentance and hand it over, spirit kind of starts raising back up. Huge deal. Being filled, the opposite is being grieved and then being quenched. And it's only those three and that's the only choices. Did you know that? When it comes to the Holy Spirit, you're either grieving, quenching, or filled. Grieving, quenching, or filled. Man, the Holy Spirit is willing to work in your life in such a powerful way. And we get so used to walking in that grieved to quenched mode. And we're back and forth and up and down just kind of doing it the way we want to do it. And it ebbs and flows back in there. And every once in a while we feel this be filled moment. I'm just telling you, I've said this to this church a number of times. Growing up, uh, being filled was never really talked about. Um, being filled by the Spirit, and when we did, it sort of seemed like it was the magic that happened if you actually could string together like seven straight years of no sin. Like it was this magic that occurred when you got everything awesome for such a long period of time that all of a sudden you could declare, that's it, I made it, I'm filled. Like it was some sort of huge achievement over a long period. It's not a lifetime achievement award, man. Be filled. It's a moment. Where are you at with your God? Where are you at with your God? Are you holding on to sin or are you letting it go and you're ready to have him take over? Lord, you take over. I confess this sin and I'm done and you're in charge. Filled. And God moves in those moments in huge ways. Now let's go back to the discerning the will of the Lord. Just make sure you're filled when you're trying to discern. Being self-absorbed and in sin is going to really make the discerning difficult. Filled, okay? Huge deal. So it says here, be filled with the Spirit. And uh, here's the end result of being filled. Um, 
It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Like when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we impact those around us by bringing them in and raising them up towards God. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody to the Lord in your heart. More than just songs with one another, it's also songs to your God. There's this connecting with your Lord that goes on, a celebrating with Him. And then it says, and giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Gratitude. When you're filled, there will be this overwhelming gratitude pouring out, this thankfulness along the way. Joy is a part of that. Huge pouring out. And then the last one, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Humility. Submitting to one another. There's going to be high humility when you are basically allowing the Holy Spirit to have control of your life. Man, as we are filled, God does an amazing work. There is such an art to being filled with the Spirit. And please hear me, this is not an Easter egg hunt that is super difficult and hard. This is your God saying, come join me. I want to do an amazing work in and through you. So, We put together a couple of illustrations here at the end just to make sure we grasp it. So let's throw the first picture up here. And uh, as we get that up, we're going to talk through what it looks like to be filled. This is a sailboat with the sail down. I'm just telling you, sailboats don't move real fast this way, right? We all get that. Like the sailboat, the sail needs to be up to be able to catch the wind. So as I just said before, Filling a cup with water, probably not the best analogy for the Holy Spirit because it seems to imply actually more of the Spirit comes in. This is probably a better analogy to being filled because there's the air all around and the wind blowing and at times he just pulls back the blowing of that air or wind and at times he throws and blows through that. The Holy Spirit literally moving in your soul is him bringing a movement of him, the wind. In fact, just so you know, in the original language, pneuma means wind or spirit, both and. It's a great illustrate to see it. So our job, how do we be filled? Well, you don't keep your sail down. For your sail down like that, that's grieved or quenched right there. That's I'm steeped in sin and I want to have my sin and I want to have my way. Sail down. There's not going to be any Holy Spirit catching the wind and directing or moving. Let's go to the next picture. To get this, this is where you have to set the sail. You have to raise that sail up and lock it tight. And as you do that, the wind catches into the sail and starts to move you and propel you forward. Your job is setting the sail. And that's it. That's what it is to be filled. Just get the sail up. He will bring the impact. How do I do that? Here's how we do that. Just a couple of steps. You may even want to write these words down. Number one, saved. There is no being filled by the Spirit without being saved. I believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. I confess him as Lord. You are in charge. Saved. You are a child of God. You are adopted. Saved. Okay, that's important to be filled. Second, behold. Like you're looking at God and you're in awe. Whether it be from his word or from something going on around you, you're looking at him and you're like, you are awesome. Worship. Gratitude. Thanks praising him. Behold, you're just like, you're awesome, God. That's it. And then the third piece is literally be still. It means drop your arms. 
Just be still. Stop the fighting. Confess whatever sin needs to go. Repent out whatever it is. And no more, it has to be my way, God. Now it's your way. And as you be still, drop your arms. As you're like, you're awesome, God. I'm telling you, that combination, your sail gets set hard. And all of a sudden, the wind hits and that sail fills full and he's starting to move you and direct you and guide you and lead you and comfort you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Get the sin out of the way. Confess it. And be in awe of your God. Sail set. And he does the rest. Do it over and over and over. All the time ready and prepped to go. Man, I'm just telling you, I come in here to preach on a Sunday morning. And a few minutes before the start of the service, my prayer is, Lord, what needs to go? Lord, what do I need to get rid of? Lord, how can I be in alignment with you? Holy Spirit, fill me. I'm longing for you to do a work in this room and it's not about me, it's about you. May Christ get all the glory. Man, that is moments before we're getting ready to get up. Always get it clean, get it clear. Ready? And all of God's people said, dude, set the sail. Confession and in awe. Confession and in awe. And watch your God move. Be filled. Okay? When we put these two together, we start walking wisely. We're leaning on the Holy Spirit. We're setting the sail and we're letting him fill along the way. May the Holy Spirit have his way with our soul. And all of God's people said, he is our leader, our guider, our comforter. May we trust in him. Let's pray. 